Welcome to episode 42 of Expanding Beyond. How are you doing today, Monica? I am doing very well because it's uh, day three of my holidays. So oh, nice. <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> I'm still spending time doing all the things that I should have done and I never had the energy or the time to do, mm -hmm. but it still feels like holiday. Like I just spent the last two hours in bed reading. It was just glorious. Nice. Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm home alone today and I've also been doing stuff. I've been I don't know, fixing stuff in the house that I never really had inclination to do and I don't know, I've been cleaning and stuff like that. So, maybe not completely holiday. <laughs> but we are adulting productive. very hard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and how has been your week so far? It was okay, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, stuff has stuff is actually happening at work. Ooh. So we were actually productive with our, with our product owner on sick leave and mm -hmm. you almost didn't notice. So I guess that's a good team then. That's a very good uh, sign. And um, some somehow we were in all the meet required meetings, even though it was sometimes accidental <laughs> that someone <laughs> from a team was there, but it worked out in the end. So Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> actually, this is something that I asked my team to uh, keep an eye on. I was like, okay, I'm going to be gone for 10 days. Let's take this as an experiment and write down, note down all the things where you were blocked because I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I hope there are none, but I doubt because of the status of the projects and, uh, and the uh, organization we are currently in. But that will be an, an interesting experiment because then I know where I am the single point of failure and I can remove myself. Yeah, that's always a very good opportunity. Because mm -hmm. so. always there's always this one thing you forget normally. Exactly. <laughs> so now I'm I'm curious to see what's going on once nice. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So today's topic is from my side, and this mm -hmm. is actually uh, something more technical than I guess what we've <laughs> what we've been doing uh, recently, and that is side projects. Okay. So a lot of developers actually do stuff on the side sometimes because it's actually something they want to build because they see the need, and I think more often it is about learning a new tool, a new language. Yeah, and for me it was it was for the longest time it was basically about learning new new tooling because I realized I can read a book mm -hmm. and I'm not a fan of all the exercises. I actually never do them. <laughs> okay. I'm so bored. And I always try to find something a bit more concrete, some kind of project to do. And that's where most of my side projects have been say, Hey, I learned this new language and here is my uh, project I want to do. Yeah. So for the most part, I've been doing stuff I don't do at work. So I've used Ruby uh, at work and other interpreted languages. So I tried to learn compiled languages like Haskell sometimes, mm -hmm. or one of the latest was Rust. And there my go-to product was in each language, I write an AI for the game of Go. Okay. Because saying, hey, it's a compiled language, needs to fast, needs to be fast. Let's find something where it's, this is useful. And this was sort of my go-to thing. Obviously, they were always horrible. 
they were never really good, <laughs> but it was a fun. But that's was not the point, project. right? Yeah, I I think there I, I I learned a lot how to how to actually optimize for uh, for speed, and sort of there the big re revelation for me was the fastest you can do something is if you don't do it at all, basically. <laughs> If you find a way to actually do less work instead of just micro-optimizing how fast you can be with the work you need to do, then that's actually where the the, the gain is. If, you, if you're smarter and do, do it in a different way, that, that's actually faster. Okay, interesting. How did you come up with uh, ideas for those projects? I don't know. <laughs> Artificial intelligence and stuff like this has always interested me. So mm -hmm. I studied bioinformatics, so it's always been in, in the in the machine. I've always been in the machine learning and um, artificial intelligence realm. Yeah, and at some at some point I discovered this because this is sort of since I don't know in quotes chess is more or less solved because computers yeah. are just better than uh, humans these days. Most of the research went to go because it is sort of goes into the similar direction so that it's there's no chance involved it's like there's a complete information game you always know what's on the board but it's just more complex mm. and for the longest time uh, computers couldn't actually match uh, humans no because you know like for side projects that has always been my problem let's say like i don't have or i think i don't I don't have ideas. Uh, mm -hmm. That's why I found this book really interesting. I think I, I told you about, there is this small book led by pragmatic programmers where uh, it's 57 exercises. They are language agnostics and they increase in difficulty over the book. Mm -hmm. And these are just basic problems that you can solve. They go from create a calculator to, um, okay, build a to-do list. But, you know, like, it gives me ideas on where to test myself uh, because otherwise I'm like, there, someone has done that before, so I can just download that if I need it. Because many people are like, oh, I'm just scratching my itches. And I was like, many people are scratching my itches, so I don't need to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I somehow, I somehow, I don't know, I need some... Some originality needs to be in it. I'm I'm not a fan of those exercises. Okay. Somehow that doesn't interest me. Yeah. But sort of that that last one where I basically built a an AI for the game of Go in Rust. Mm -hmm. That was a while ago. I haven't touched it for I don't know for how long. And then I actually moved on and I actually built something out of a need. Well, need in a way. Yeah. Um, because at that time, my sort of main hobby was fountain pens. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like a pen and there's no ink in it yet. And the advantage of an ink is that it is cheap and you can have many <laughs> of them. Yes. Yeah. So it was in a community where there were like many people and they all had their inks. And you have a bottle of ink that's, like, I don't know, 30 milliliters, 50 or even more. But a pen takes really a tiny amount. Mm-hmm. And then people were actually trading and saying, hey, I will send you samples of these five inks or whatever you, you're interested in in my collection. And the other person sort of 
does the same and you sort of uh, do an exchange. And there I found the problem that how do you even know what the other person has, right? Yeah. Um, and there was like playing around with Google spreadsheets and shared things like that, but it was very clunky. And I thought, hey, there must be a better way. And then I sort of um, also because I had a commute at that time where I was mm -hmm. like sitting in the train uh, to Munich for, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes uh, twice a day. And I thought, hey, let me just build something really simple. Sort of the MVP was, hey, you as a user, you can create a list of inks and you, for each of the inks, you can mark if it's uh, visible or not to someone outside. And then you have a public page and you can send a link to someone. That's basically everything that site could do. Yeah. And somehow that sort of was hugely popular in that tiny uh, community I was in. And then oh, people that's pretty cool. somehow people started creating accounts and doing stuff and sharing this. And yeah, and that's, that's, that's where I started building that thing. And yeah. And then I basically just chucked along and said, Hey, I have another 30 minutes on that commute. What will I build today? Mm -hmm. And I did that for a few months. I don't know for how long I even did it. And that's been, I don't know, two, three years ago. And the site is still up and running. And I have quite that's a few cool. users now. And it's actually self-sustaining in terms of money. Because I hosted on Heroku. By now it's sort of outgrown every free plan there is. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm actually paying, what is it, around, I sort of, I try to stay on the cheaper side, but that's still $85 a month. And yeah, I'm sort of getting paid via Patreon. For that's this nice. Month. How did you decide to use this or that technology? Was it just for ease of use or? Um... Yeah, I thought, hey, I actually want to build a project and I don't want to go and learn a new technology while I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. So I went really with what I knew, right? I yeah. built the Rails app and then here, some React JavaScript stuff here and there. Because I thought, hey, if I now try to learn something new and build it in, I don't know, Elixir or whatever, then I will actually never finish it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think you can always choose one of the two. Either you, you are learning something or you're actually building something useful. I think that's sort of the trade-off. Yeah, that's uh, that is also something that, for example, I mean, it's quite a different uh, goal, but um, that's why I decided to go for using Ruby for the last advent, um, advent of uh, advent of code, because I was like, okay, if I also need, I did it, I, I started using Elixir a little bit, but because I don't use it on a daily basis, or I haven't used it for such a long time as Ruby, it's it's more clunky for me to use and yeah. it takes more time and then I just get impatient, uh, right? Um, so... Yeah, so that's, that is sort of my side project slash, I don't know. There's some money coming on in, which is mm -hmm. nice because there's basically everyday maintenance going on with user data coming in and sort of you having to clean it up. Have you ever used it for like in interviews if they have asked you if you have side projects? Not really, because I, I don't think I've, I don't know, has it come up 
I'm not sure. Maybe it had, has come up once or twice in interviews, mm -hmm. but not really. I mean, the code is sort of, I'm always hesitant because this is sort of the, I don't know, a startup level of code, right? Because yeah. I personally am at work very adamant about writing tests and having code that actually looks nice um, and is well maintainable. But this has sort of gone out of the window with this project. <laughs> <laughs> There's no tests for the JavaScript front end at all. And it's like a, <laughs> at least to me, for me, kind of low uh, code coverage on, mm -hmm. on the Ruby side. But if you say, hey, I only have 30 minutes, then sometimes you I just have to cut corners. Yes, of but course. Obviously, it bites you in the back afterwards <laughs> because then it doesn't work. There, there are things that do not work, right? Yeah, and then there's an error and you have to quickly deploy something new and then it's Heroku and it takes you 10 minutes <laughs> until it's live Ooh. and stuff like that. So I've slowly uh, been trying to get away from that, but that's a sort of, it's cool. But on the other hand, I think you have to be careful how you, you would always have to present it and say, hey, this is something I have built. I can show you that I know how to build a product. Mm. And I know that sometimes you have to make a compromise and build an MVP and stuff like that more than, hey, here's this very nice and shiny code you can look at because that's not necessarily mm. what it is. Well, if you were to apply for a product manager role, then maybe that would work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you ever thought about rewriting it or um, extending the code coverage, for example? Yeah, sort of for, for newer features, I actually do this. And there are certain parts that I actually completely had to rewrite because mm. they weren't scalable. Because there's like a, there's one database table where people enter their inks and then that's like over 200,000 inks. That's a lot. And <laughs> you sort of, right? Then there's, depending on how popular an ink is, there's like, I don't know, a few to, I don't know, tens of different ways of writing it. Mm -hmm. And you afterwards want to say, hey, but this is all the same ink to sort of cluster it into yeah. things like that. And the first try I, I had, I did, that was just not really working because there's some things you can't automate, right? Because as sort of the, the first thing I tried was to say, hey, if it's like one character different from one other ink name, then I assume it's the same thing. But then you have some crazy ink naming where it's like just a three-digit number mm. and they're all different inks, but they're all like just one digit different. <laughs> and then there's like hundred inks clustered together and it's like hundred different inks. Yeah. <laughs> and nah. then I had to build, had to come up with some clever way of saying, hey, these are cases where I can be really sure that they're the same, but the rest has all to be done manually. And manually mm. means I do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but Oopsie. I don't, looking through it, there's like, third, looking at the uh, my stats here, there's like 30,000 cl remaining clusters where I have to manually make a decision. Mm. And then, of course, I had to build some kind of automation, sort of some kind of JavaScript front-end whether I could sort of navigate through the system with some keyboard shortcuts to speed it up because that's like kind of a lot of work. Yes. I still spent, I don't know, weeks doing it. 
but at, at least it was kind of faster. <laughs> and it was fun to write the, the JavaScript stuff for it. Are you thinking about starting another side project? Not at this point. Sort of this tool is that 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 sort of has become a habit. Mm -hmm. It's sort of uh, sort of fully integrated into my day, I would say. Yeah, because there's like people are entering new, and then I don't know. Looking at the stats, I don't know a few hundred inks per day, and then there's like new entries, and I basically every day have like I don't know ten minutes uh, that I'm in that admin area in that system to say, hey, is this a new ink? Is this some Thing I've already seen before. And there's always a feature here and a feature there that I want to add. And I'm so, so it sort of sort of consumes all my yes, <laughs> side project time. And it's also not, I mean, I can still play around with it and say, hey, today I'm wanna learn more about front-end stuff. Maybe I want to try out some kind of graphing library and I build some kind of statistics within the within the project and stuff like that so i think there's there's still a lot of opportunities yeah of course of course so you would recommend having your own side project as long as you like it and it's fun mm -hmm. because i can totally see that there are people who don't that for for whom programming is just work and afterwards you either don't want to or you don't have the time to do it yeah and I'm always, I'm always hesitant to, uh, to say you actually need it to be successful and get the good jobs and stuff like that, because that's just not the reality. There are just people that, I mean, sometimes it's not necessary. I think it always depends where you are, what you're aiming for. Yeah. Um, like I'm thinking about my last series of uh, interviews in which I was like, I've been a manager at a small size company for two years now. I haven't touched really code in production for two years now. So having a side project would have helped a lot because I would have still probably been sharp enough, maybe not in the exact areas that people were expecting, like system design, but more on the practical side, it wouldn't have been too big of a deal. Mm -hmm. But then for really, you know, like for, for being really, really good enough to go through those interviews, um, there are some problems that you can't just, you know, avoid. It's like you have to deal with a lot of traffic, for example, or the system has to be complex enough. I mean, I know there are tools out there that can simulate traffic and uh, and you can use stress test your your app but then it you know like it's not a small side project it's something that uh, has to go beyond that yeah. yeah it's true there's there's surprises you i've discovered in my side project for for example i don't know i think i mentioned it at some point somehow my log uh, sort of sign up form got discovered by spammers uh -huh. <laughs> and i i had to, actually had to build because and then right in the first step it's not a problem because there's always the confirmation email going out yes and of course the spammer never receives it because that's like a not his email address yes but i'm sort of then myself spamming those email addresses which is also not cool no 
<laughs> so I had to, f- <laughs> and I also didn't want want to uh, implement a captcha, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not a fan of those, and I find them hugely annoying. <laughs> yes, they are. So I had to play around with it. Hey, what do I do? There's this, these methods of I don't know a hidden input field that only a bot would fill out because you've moved it via CSS. I don't know three thousand pixels to the side or something, something okay. like this. But somehow these days the spam bots are smart enough. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up with saying, hey, per IP address, there's like only three signups allowed in 24 hours. Because I noticed a lot of those were like with the same IP address. And then looking at this, I have days where there's like, I don't know, 190 signups that I've sort of caught, hopefully, as bots and not someone <laughs> who wants to sign up. Okay, but that, that already is like, it's a problem that is challenging enough. Let's say also from, again, from a product perspective, if you think yeah. about it, it's like, okay, I have these requirements because the easy way would be, yes, put a captcha, whatever, but, uh, I don't want to have that. That is, uh, too complicated, you know, it's like, blah, blah. That's uh, pretty cool. And I mean, I, I sort of come from more of a B2B world and there, there are no signups for forms in a B2B world, right? No. <laughs> yes. I either single sign on or someone has to manually create the account. True. So that's why it was sort of a new problem to me because, because that just, it's not something I had experienced before. And then I got to play around a lot with, um, uh, sort of community features and sort of incentivizing okay. people to actually do stuff with, with some kind of gamification. Yeah. True. Because if you're sort of, if, if you look at it, it's just me doing stuff mm-hmm. and I have like realistically just a few hours for, to develop and even less to actually do maintenance work a day. Of course. So you have to figure out how much can I automate it and how much can I start sort of, can I have people do stuff themselves? Sadly, I'm not very far <laughs> okay. getting people Why? involved, but it's, it's sort of a, a direction I'm going. Mm. So you're looking for like to build a community so that, for example, there are moderators that work for basically free or is more on the kind of like open source side. It's like, this is the code. You guys can go and do whatever you want. Yeah. These days is more, it's like, here's the site. You can interact with it. Like, Hey, here's an ink. Some people have written reviews about them somewhere on the internet. Okay. Submit links to it and stuff like that. Sort of, I mean, the code is open source. Mm -hmm. I sort of in the beginning did it because then the tooling was free, more or less, right? Yes. (laughs) GitHub was free, whatever. Uh, CI was free. And basically all tools more or less have a free for open source plan. Yeah. And I thought, hey, why would I keep that code to myself and pay for it? True. But it is obviously hard for someone to get into this because that code base by now is not really tiny anymore mm-hmm. and sort of historically grown. And I have had some people show interest, but I just didn't have to. I also didn't have the time to sort of help them get started, actually. So that would be cool. But as I guess every open source maintainer knows, it <laughs> yes. is also a lot of work to get people on board and produce, I don't know, figure out what tiny things would be useful for them to start. Yeah, this was has always been a bit of a barrier for me uh, when it comes to contributing to open source, because very often, I mean, 
there aren't that many projects that I might be interested or able to contribute to from the, from the get going. And then I go in there and it's really tough to get hold of an issue that, you know, you can actually contribute. There are people that have written, Hey, I'm taking this on, but then it's, there's nothing for months. Is that a stale issue? Is it not? Um, Sometimes the issues are not even described that well. So then you're like, okay, how do I start here? Um, So it it feels, in a way, it feels that you are bothering people more than than actually helping. I mean, it also comes with having worked in a professional environment for for so long. Like you need that kind of direction. You just... Don't just go and wing it, um, or at least that's how I do it. So <laughs> have you ever contributed to open source? I actually have in the, uh, again, in the Rust eco- ecosystem, I have actually taken over one uh, project, but then it mm. sort of, it fell, fell to the wayside as well. Okay. Because I also just didn't have the time anymore. There was some kind of very... And uh, the problem there was it's it sort of tried to re, to sort of reimagine RSpec with with syntax like that in Rust. So there was a lot of deep integration with the Rust compiler to make the syntax actually work. Mm-hmm. And of course, the compiler evolved, and that was like the pre one times for Rust. And there was only so much time I could invest and figure out how to keep it going. Yeah, so I contributed there a bit, but eventually it, I also just didn't have the time anymore. It always goes back to time. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, for the side project, it's it's like, yeah, there, there also isn't that much time to do this. And then I've, I'm sort of thinking, do I just spend the time to implement something or do I mm-hmm. try to clean up the project and write issues that are easy for people to get started? And then yeah. basically most times it's, hey, I just implement something because I want to have a bit of fun today. Get something done. Yes, and I was reflecting exactly on this uh, today because, again, during my holidays, since it's not my job anymore, um, I was thinking like, okay, I can just you know like hack away for for a few days, and that is actually the the liberating part. It's like I don't have to think that you know it's like I really have to write tests for this or. I don't care if it's not maintainable. I was like, okay, I just want to go to the next step, the next exercise. That's enough. That's that's the other pleasant part, let's say. Like you only get the enjoyable part because it's such it's so short lived. I mean, mine isn't that short lived anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, not not yours. But, still, <laughs> but it is still kind of much more much for free what you can do yeah. and then what you would actually do at work where you say, hey, this actually needs to work all the time. And here it's like, I mean, people have actually suggested I should make this a paid service and say, I don't know, I don't know, a dollar per user a month or something. Mm-hmm. But I explicitly didn't want to do it because I don't want to make it a job. Yeah, right? I just want to keep this thing running and sometimes I just, I don't know, there are months, three months, six months where I actually don't really implement anything new because I just don't and feel like fine. it. And yes. that's fine, yes. That was explicitly, because if, if then people start paying for it, then there's sort of more more pressure to actually d- develop stuff all the time. And I 
Yeah, that was something that I remember a long, long time ago when the world was young. Um, I had a group of friends and and uh, a few of them, we were all playing online and, and like this was the days of Ultima Online. So it was like that long ago. And a group of them uh, was uh, having this server. It was literally a computer in the room of one of them uh, that was running the um, BB Edit uh, installation where we had our guilds forum. And um, the community slightly expanded also to other people that were in there for, you know, like fantasy books and whatnot. And the point was exactly that. You are not paying for any of this. Actually, we are carrying this, the expenses. So whatever kind of request that comes even slightly across, like, and I pretend and I want to have this, it was like, you know what? Fuck you. Because you're not paying for any of this. Um, so like, it was much more, we do this for, for be, because it's our passion, because we want to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do our best. So there were always, you know, like improvements and a new update and uh, also moderators that were not paid and they still kept organizing events and whatnot. But we do this in on our free time. So there is not that much that you can say, I have to have this, right? Uh, like making it becoming a job, uh, it's, uh, it's more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I sort of, I'm sort of, I just wonder what happens one day when I don't want to uh, continue with this anymore. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it sort of would be sad, right? Because there's a lot of, lot of time and energy went into it. And it is actually uh, kind of cool to, to build this community site where yes. it's sort of, I don't know, here are certain inks and there's like 10 names for it in various languages. And they, it's, it links to 20 reviews somewhere on the internet. And there's, there's actually, at least in the small community, there's value to it. And mm-hmm. I guess this is also why I keep it, keep it running. And people are actually, I don't know, a dollar or $2 a month actually still, paying, paying yeah. in a sense. And that it, it's actually kind of surprising how many <laughs> that are. <laughs> that value it enough to actually spend some of their their money on this. Yeah, I don't know if it's that surprising in the end. Like I've found myself over the past years since I actually have a job that pays well enough to just say, you know what? This is a very good service. Even if I use it once a year, I don't care. I'm just going to give money for it. Um mm-hmm. there's there's care there's a uh, love behind the product. Um, so why should I not do that? Um, and yes, sometimes it's, uh, you know, <laughs> like I, if I think about all the services that I am subscribed to, like <laughs> eh, it's kind of a lot, but at the same time, that's okay. Yeah. And, and sort of, I, I sort of justified partly also because then I, get to play around with stuff and it's there's less pressure like i don't know a rails upgrade and mm-hmm. webpacker isn't sort of the tool to use anymore and <laughs> even for that side project i haven't done it yet because i it seems like not a fun thing to do but at least it would be less uh, pressure to try it out there and then you've already done it once and maybe it's actually useful at work yeah 
So I sort of try to justify it saying, hey, the stuff I learned there is actually useful in other places as well. It is. Like not long ago on uh, on Twitter, there was, I think it was Shane Henselman um, that was uh, saying that. And if quite a few people that are famous in the tech Twitter community uh, double down on, on that uh, on that opinion. It's like build your build your own um, website because then it's like, oh, you need a form. Oh, you need this. Oh, you need to upgrade. Oh, you need this other thing. And you get to learn things that otherwise you would not do in that setting. And you will have to learn potentially somewhere else. Plus, you might not even get to learn. It's like, when was the last time that you had to set uh, SSL or TSL on, on your on your server? Uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So... It's, yeah, uh, that's true. There's a lot of weird things I had to do. For example, I actually did go out and scrape some websites. <laughs> 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 because sadly, most RSS feeds only go back, I don't know, to the last 20 posts or something. Oh, I see. And oh, then you have a blog with like 2,000 blog posts you want to import. And then you have to actually <laughs> build a scraper. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that you would need. Any other advice that you would give to our listeners? I guess it depends on oh, what do you want to get out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you just want to learn some kind of new tool, um, then I don't know, find something small to do, or I don't know, maybe that's even an open source project you can contribute to. But it, I would say it is also fun to do, to actually solve a real problem. Yeah. I mean, what I've built here is sort of so niche, I guess as niche as it could be, <laughs> to sort of focus on that that community. But these days, as the internet is so big and there are so many people on this world, you can actually have uh, actually success with that. I think it is very um, motivating to say, hey, my website has 3,000 users and I can see when they're on the website, they're actually there for two minutes which I think is a very long time yes. <laughs> for, for a site. And that's average. So if you just happen to be somewhere and find, I don't know, the standard approach is, hey, someone is using a, an Excel spreadsheet for to build something, build a real product out of it. And it is surprising how little features you actually need for people to actually use it and say, hey, this is actually useful. I was really surprised because there was That's basically nothing. It was a list of inks on the internet and that was all more or less in the beginning. That is actually very, very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Now I'm wondering what should I build? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think what, what actually, well, what I think the biggest thing I learned wasn't actually about programming. It was about how can I split this all up into 30 minute chunks? Mm -hmm. Because I realized if I don't sort of have a defined end, right? I, I was sort of in the train. I tried to build something and then I wasn't done and I had to go to work and then I was at work and I couldn't concentrate because I was trying to, <laughs> I was still thinking about that side project. So I really had to find a way to say, hey, this is a tiny feature. I will finish today. It might not take the whole commute, but I won't continue because hmm. then it's done and then I can actually afterwards concentrate on work. 
And it is actually surprising how far you can get if you just steadily every day work on stuff like that. It, it sounds like almost nothing, but after a while you actually have built something. Were you doing the planning upfront, but what to, how to divide the, the, how to create those chunks? Ah, oh, that was a long time ago. I'm not sure how I did it back then. Mm -hmm. Probably I thought, uh, I thought a bit about saying, Hey, these are, this is the big thing I want to build here. Here are the tiny steps I can do. These days I have a wall with post-its on it with all the features. <laughs> I still you went build. all enterprise. I, w I went all analog <laughs> and I didn't put it into GitHub, which of course also doesn't help with attracting other people because they can't no. know what I have planned to work on. <laughs> no, like it's not like your potential, you, your friends might be potentially interested in helping you out there. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Not at all, in their free time, <laughs> since they don't have any ideas. Mm. <laughs> oh, but that's a, that's probably, a, that is a skill that it's highly translatable to, um, to anything you do, really. Mm. Uh, be it something that you do on your, um, on your own, or it's something that you do at, at work. It's like this gigantic projects in the end, what you need is to have a constant throughput of yeah. stuff that gets out um, and you have to slice it as little as possible so that it's predictable and it's uh, it's easy to get out there because the longer the task takes the more energy you have to pour into it um, to get it uh, to get it come to life so that's yeah. why it's so important also to figure out what are the dependencies and and who do you need their input so that everything is ready for the time when that thing can get out of the door if you do that while you are actively working on it it's never gonna get out or it's it's very hard to get it out and i know that i'm preaching to the choir and i'm also know that people <laughs> in my team that are listening to me we're not there yet We'll get there, I promise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the cutting, a sort of cutting it up into 30 minute chunks, that is kind of on the extreme side, I would say. <laughs> I guess that's not something I would do at work. No. But, but I can see I'm sort of always the person who has the least, who I basically never say, no, we can't break this down because essentially you always <laughs> can. And it's just a question does it actually make sense? Yeah. There was this one time I was thinking, like, if you go into such detail, because there is this this whole conversation around like estimation and predictability and whatnot. And the closer you want to get to be as predictable as possible, like you had to be really, really strict about what you wanted to achieve in that those 30 minutes, right? Yeah. And in order to understand how to make that thing fit into 30 minutes. You had to really hone the idea almost to the implementation level. Yeah. I mean, I I did it on my own, right? Yes. So that I didn't have to write it down or communicate it to anyone. So Absolutely. I think that was sort of the big upside because otherwise, yes, you would end up spending probably 30 minutes defining it and then someone re-implements your pseudocode in the next 30 minutes. Right. Sort of. So that's why I was always a bit 
wary about, you know, like, oh, we need to become so predictable that it's like, but if you become that predictable, then you are as close to reality as possible. So basically you have written it and then <laughs> I cannot give you that kind of certainty in six months from now. It's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. And it's also questionable if that is a good idea. I think there must be some freedom for whoever implements it to actually uh, do it in the, the way they want. Because you never think of everything. And sometimes it just doesn't fit whatever. Yes. And then you've really closely specified it and someone tries to do it. And it's super complicated, but they still do it. Instead of having more vague acceptance criteria and then you just do whatever actually fits the sort of what's required from a user perspective and not yeah. the technical details. And and that's the other thing. Like these are just different scales where like it's like you're trying to zoom in with a microscope. Um mm. so you need different level of details in throughout the um the putting the 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 product out there. And if you have the same person looking at the same, uh, at, at all the different levels, it also requires a lot of mental space for all the details at all the levels. Mm -hmm. So it's, in my opinion, it's not that easy to be one man band when the project is big enough. It's like the, 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 the mental space that you need to dedicate to strategic, tactical execution yeah, level of details is it's it's a lot. I mean, I guess that's why humans invented writing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because I sort of. I mean, that's that's why. I mean, there's people coming to me say, "Hey, this feature would be nice," and here's a bug, and there's a bug, and I just write it down somewhere and then move on until I the look at look at it again. Yeah, <laughs> where things go to die. <laughs> I mean, at least it's a physical backlog. So it's easier <laughs> yes. to see, but there's, there's, I mean, a few times, I don't know, once or twice a year, actually go through all of them and say, yeah, I'm never going to do that. If someone comes to me about it again, at some point I might, yeah, and then that just throw out the cards, which is actually nice. <laughs> no, but that's true. Like this using the backlog as a, as a way to separate the wheat from the chaff, basically. <laughs> It's uh it's an underrated function of the backlog. It's like and you see it everywhere. Like the sense of urgency that people have is like, oh, this is my idea. Oh my god, it needs to be implemented now. Or uh something pops up on and it gets on the radar of someone and it's like, oh my god, no, this is absolutely it's unacceptable. It's there, but it's been there for two years. Ah, it's unacceptable. Like, okay, whatever, let's put it in the backlog. And and then I mean, I, I'm joking right now, but literally, I think the one of the most important functions of the backlog is that making sure that we're working on the right thing mm -hmm. for that time. And that's why I agree with some of the people that I was reading recently. I mean, there's right now, there's a lot of, uh, in my Twitter timeline, there's a lot of banter over um a lot of discussion around the usefulness of a backlog. Some some people claim that you don't need any backlog at all. It's like you should be fast enough to it's like first in, first out, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but in practice, that seldom happens. Yes, we should aim for that, but it doesn't happen. So 
the backlog should still be as short as it could be. But in order for having it short, you have to constantly go over it and reprioritize. And that makes you, again, that, that makes it to the core of lean and agile. What do we need now? What yeah. is the thing with the most value that we can do for our users? And that's what you need to pick. And if you have the big projects split in pieces that are uh, small enough, then also big things can be done. This is not to say that you only have to work on things that are small enough to get into you know, a sprint. That, that would be stupid. But uh, yeah, combining the, the two, you can, get to, you can get quite far. Yeah, and it's surprising how how many things you can leave out. <laughs> People exactly still, still still like it and use it. Yeah, I mean, I I do remember when I joined my current company, we were releasing a feature specifically for one of the two products that we have, and. As soon as people saw that that was being released on one of the two products, they had no idea that it was there because that product is not available in, the, in that other country. And they were like, oh my God, this would be so cool to have in product number number two. And I was like, yes, but that's not our priority now. So we're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's been almost a year and we're not that yet. So that was a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. There's always something like that, right? It goes into the backlog and then everyone's satisfied and then they can stay there for a Maybe long time. it will get there at some point. But yeah. again, is it really what the users want or is that what you want? Because it's cool. Mm. Eh. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So in summary, such a side product where you actually build something is, I guess, also useful because you, you have to handle by everything, right? You are yes. not only the developer, but you're also the product owner and you need to decide what to build and what features to cut out because you actually don't have the time and you want to have fun and actually release something. Maybe that's actually the problem. <laughs> you see, like you get to be the technical lead, the and the software engineer and the product manager and yeah. the business owner. And the tech support. Yeah, and the tech support. <laughs> um You know, it's, it's like having this internship in all of the functions and you have to be a little bit of a marketer too, because I mean, if you want your product to be used. That's true. I've actually been on, on podcasts about you it. You see? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -uh. <laughs> so one man band for real. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty happy. I, I've had, I've had someone made a logo for me, <laughs> actually spent some, some of the money um, I got via Patreon on this. Yeah. Fairly happy about it. Yeah. I do not have a topic for today. I mean, we're past the <laughs> uh, reasonable, sensible time. So I won't pick anything. But just as an update, since last time we were talking about this, uh, this migration of mine, the migration, the execution of the migration was impressive. Like there was literally almost no hiccup. There were a couple of steps that because one of us was sick, weren't fully executed, but it was such a minor thing that we were, and we knew what it was supposed to happen. So we knew immediately what was not happening and we could find where um, the PR to merge or uh, the code to execute uh, and so on that we mm -hmm. were 
fine. We were fine also with that. It took us a little bit longer than I expected to fully execute, but we added a couple extra steps in in the making on the DevOps side to uh, really be sure that we copied all the data, that the data was um, sanity check on, on the data that was being imported. Mm-hmm. So overall, I am extremely impressed. And because there was no chaos, I was able to constantly communicate towards the company what was going on. Like, hey, we're doing this now. It's expected to take this and that. This went well. The next step is this. So I also was able to keep the company informed about what was happening. And going back to being a little bit of a marketer, uh, that's good PR because it means (laughs) there's something happening It's going well, but it's still happening, right? Very, very Mm -hmm. often it's like if something good happens, people don't notice. Uh, So make sure that they notice. (laughs) (laughs) The interesting learning out of this was that, beside what I already shared last time, was that because this was a migration that also impacted some of our internal tooling, we didn't, I think, dedicate enough time to those details, we looked a lot at the user-facing problems that could arise, but we didn't think about all of our users. And that's my mantra for this year. That That's my battle for this year. There are more than the end users. So we had a little bit of a, we are still having some, some issues there. And I had forgotten how much time it takes to take care of the users on a live system. so now there are all these tickets i'm like oh my god (laughs) there are people that actually need us (laughs) Um, that's great to hear that it actually works and that it is i'm very happy and i'm extremely proud of uh of what the team has done it was uh it was a pleasure to see them working together nice and on this positive note let's end this here Yes, we can walk into the night. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Where people can find you. People can find me on my side project. (laughs) 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 At fountainpencompanion.com slash user slash one. Because I'm obviously user number one. (laughs) (laughs) Show off. Um, Or they can find me uh, on Twitter as UJH. Where can people find you? You can find me on my personal website, monikag.me. You can find me uh, on uh, Twitter, kfmolly with an I. Lately, it's a lot of um, Ukraine stuff, but yeah, bear with me. And otherwise, you can find me as Nirnayat a little bit everywhere, like GitHub and the like. So LinkedIn also. That's it. All right. And if you want to send us an email, you can reach Mm -hmm. it as hosts at expandingbeyond.it or you can uh, write us via Twitter at what's it podcast underscore EB I think <laughs> <laughs> yes I'm not sure anyone EB does. so <laughs> expanding beyond so it was already taken <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't create the account <laughs> All right. with the right handle <laughs> Have a lovely evening, people. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.